0: in your Bibles uh, to the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 30 as we continue a series through the book of Luke um, called The Compassionate Conqueror. And it really, through the, throughout the book, we, we, as we look at the life of Christ, we, we've called it this series because we see that He is the God of all compassion, He is compassionate towards everyone, but he has has a special compassion towards the weak and the needy and the outcast and the sinner. And he is the sovereign God who has conquered all, who conquers sin and death and Satan. And so this morning we pick up in the middle of chapter 4, chapters 1 through 3 are really sort of sort of laying the ground for his public ministry to take place and just really giving us a fuller sense of his identity. So it's his birth and the preparation of his coming through the ministry of John the Baptist. Over and over again through his lineage and just through, through the birth narrative and through even John's own testimony, we see that Jesus is uniquely one who is, who is the only one who is fully God and fully man, that he is uniquely the Son of God and he is also fully man. And though he has been seen publicly, he's been seen publicly in the temple at his baptism, our passage this morning is now begins the first of his public ministry. So this is the first time he's going to have a, a, a public teaching. And you, after this, we start seeing the miracles and the healings and more teaching. So this is the beginning of his public teaching and of his miracles, which really just will dominate the next 18 chapters or so. So this is, in a sense, the, the first recorded teaching of Jesus as he begins the public ministry of Jesus and out of the gates he is showing that he is not what people expected him to be that he doesn't conform to 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 the image that people had for what the messiah would be as they looked into the future as they made predictions over what the messiah would be that we see right away that he is not who he th- they, he is not who they thought he would be Recently was reading some stuff on Roger Bannister. So many of you know the name of Roger Bannister. So I know the Etherton ladies would know Roger Bannister if you like running. So Roger Bannister is the first man to break the four-minute mile, right? So he was he was the guy who first broke the four-minute mile in 1954. So an inspiration, I would, I'm trying to break the 14-minute mile, so that's kind of my, um, my push. No, I, I can't. I, can, I can't do two miles in 14 minutes, but I can do one. But... Um, but Roger Bannister was the first man to break the, the four-minute mile, and he broke it in 1954. So since then it's come down, the new world record was set last year. it's, it's, it's like 343 or something now. But, but at the time, he was doing this interview about like what was hard, you know, what was the hardest about your training? What was the hardest thing that you sort of had to figure out? You know, was it some new technique, some new diet? you know, what was the thing that sort of was the most difficult to, to sort of to, to in breaking the, the barrier of the four-minute mile? And I thought he said something really insightful. He said, Well, the hardest thing was just was, was breaking the expe- was breaking the expectation that man could actually go at a four minute mile. Like before that there was just this sense of like man just can't travel that fast. Man can't just run that fast. There's sort of this built-in governor that sort of says, Okay, we can only get down to be so fast, you know, four oh five or four ten, but we, we just it's physically impossible for, for man to break this barrier. So he said the hardest thing was just sort of shattering the expectation that this was actually possible and believing it to be possible himself. There was a sense of what was what was so striking about it. it wasn't just that he ran this fast but that it broke the expectation that people carried into it. People sort of made this assumption man can't run this fast and so sort of they, they put everybody in the box of so, so why even try because you can't do it. In our passage this morning on his first recorded sermon we, we, we see that that Jesus is breaking the expectation that they had of who the Messiah is. That he's he's shattering what they were looking for. But not everybody believed, and many people rejected him, and even at the end of our passage, they seek to have him killed. Because not because they not because he they misheard him, but, be, but because he was breaking their expectation. He didn't fit the box that he, they created for him. And so so the sense of they rejected him because they reduced him down to their size. If we read our passage this morning, I just want us to be very aware, even as His people, as believers, it's very easy for us to reduce, to reduce Jesus down to our size or to our temporary problems or our circumstances, to view Him through the framework of, boy, how can I see you right now at work in my life, and to, to reduce Him down. But in our passage this morning, in His first public address, we want to see that Jesus wants to shatter our expectations for what kind of Messiah He truly is. So if you're able, I would ask if you could stand with me as we read, beginning in verse 14. We're going to cover through verse 30 this morning, but we're first going, just to stand, we're going to read through verse 21, which is really the message that he teaches, and then later on we're going to read the second half of the book as we, or the second half of this passage as we we see the the response to his teaching. The immediate context is this is immediately following Jesus' temptation in the wilderness from Satan. And then we we see this beginning in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and report about him went, went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, you may be seated. want to look at this passage through three points this morning. And point number one is the message. The message. So, we are, we are now in Nazareth. This is the place where Jesus is from. And, and this is the place where he is from. And now he begins his public ministry. And there's a sense of right away around Jesus there's sort of this there's this excitement he's this you know right he's the hometown boy who's made good right he was going around preaching and teaching and his fame was growing the last time he was in public was his that last time was recorded in public was his baptism and God's voice declared out of heaven that Jesus is his own son which as you can imagine can create quite a stir and so his reputation is growing, people are coming to just hear him preach, they're coming from all over, and they're just, he has this authority and this power, and he's, they're respecting the message as he preaches. And so he's now about to preach again. Now in this day they would read, sort of the, the way this, the service would have went, it was that they would read two passages. So they would read from the law usually, and then one from the prophets. And then, and then so they would, they would stand to read and then they would sit down to, to teach or preach or expound on the text. And so this is all normal stuff is happening in verse 16 as he, as, as he stood to read the passage. But there's this sense, right? There's this, there's this anticipation of, of what he's about to say. All eyes are, are on him. There's sort of this, you know, whether they've heard him or not, there's this murmuring of who he is and what kind of message and authority he brings. And could this... Is he the Messiah? And this is the one that John was referencing. And all these things are sort of in the background. And so people are just leaning in. You know, they're not leaning in because, oh man, he's just a really funny preacher, right? We just love the way he, you know, he tells you know jokes about the kids. You know, he's not that, he's not using props or videos. Like he just has this authority and this power when he gets up to preach. And so all eyes are on him, anticipation building for what he would say. And he reads this passage out of Isaiah, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, but he reads this passage, and then his message is quite simple. As he says, This scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing. What what Isaiah has been pointing to, what Isaiah has proclaimed, what, what, what we have been looking to for generations as a people, what we have been longing for in the Messiah coming. It's being fulfilled. And we're going to look at why and how he could say that. But what he was saying is that what Isaiah has been pointing to is now here in full. Okay, so what, what was Isaiah's message? What was the thing that he was, he was referencing? What was... What were they anticipating? And he was saying they've fulfilled. The, the Messiah was going to be. Isaiah was pointing to a Messiah who was going to do these things. So what were what was this Messiah going to do? He says we're well, going to deliver good news to the poor and freedom to the captives and sight to the blind and liberty to the oppressed. And we're going to see throughout his earthly life, Jesus will elevate the poor and will set people free. Blind people will literally physically receive sight. The oppressed will experience freedom. But Jesus is, is, is making note that this, this isn't just, these things aren't just here in some temporary way. I'm not just here to, to heal a few blind people and then move on. This is not sort of what this is. Yes, the, there are physically blind people who receive sight. That, that happens. But something so much greater than that is happening. Spiritually blind people will receive sight. The the poor in spirit, not just the poor in economics or the poor sort of in society, they receive salvation. The the, the poor, the prisoner, the blind, the oppressed are are all having freedom and vision because of what Jesus Christ has done. Not just those physically, but spiritually. All that sin and Satan had laid waste to the day of salvation is here. He's basically saying, so, okay, whatever caused sort of physical blindness for a person, whether it be something at birth or an accident or, you know, some sort of sickness that caused blindness, he's like, okay, something caused spiritual blindness amongst all humanity. All people were spiritually blind and 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 now the 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 healer is here, the one that, that can the, the cause of our blindness is sin and Satan, and the one who can conquer sin and Satan is now here and he is at work. But there were so many in that crowd that day who were missing the message because they thought the Messiah was here to come to really fix their temporary problems, to be a new ruler in Rome, to be, okay, the problem is Caesar, so the Messiah is going to be the new guy, you know, he's going to be the new guy in charge, and he's going to unleash a new social order. Okay, the the great problem is sort of this economic injustice, so the poor will be elevated in just sort of a a here and now kind of way. See, people weren't getting the message of Christ because they were reducing it to what they could see right in front of them, to their earthly aspirations of what the Messiah would do. They They were missing the glory that he was preaching. Now, let me just say, this is probably something obvious, but let me just say as we, as we think about these, these social things that he, that he is talking about, right, with, with healing the blind, so helping the sick and feeding the poor and, and, and helping those who, who are suffering oppression, that, that there's something good that we ought to pursue in this, right, in, a, in an earthly and in a temporary way, that, that those who are physically suffering, we want to help alleviate that. Reflects God's heart. This type of care. For the past 2,000 years, it's what God has called His church to, it's what He's called Christians to. We see that long before that, and written in the law of the Old Testament, for thousands of years before Christ, God has cared about how His people treat the poor and the oppressed and the downcast. And so, we should care how we, how we treat them as a, as a people. Christ came to, to lift the oppressed. And we see, just see this right throughout the Gospels that Jesus cares physically and demonstrably for those who would be considered the least of these. He doesn't just sort of bypass the, the blind man and say, well, listen, i'm really I'm only interested in spiritual sight, so sorry about your you you know your, your physical problem. No, you know he helped alleviate human suffering as then as then it, it was a la- that sort of to open the door for the gospel to be proclaimed and just in his human compassion to care. And one of the striking things is that even in the passage in chapter three, when, John the Baptist is talking about what's it mean to repent. Really just uh, this dominant theme is well care for the least of these. How do you treat the people around you? And so listen, we're not we're not going woke to say that we should care for the poor and the oppressed and those who have been historic, those who would be oppressed both historically and those who would be particularly oppressed in our day. We we need to care about the needs of the unborn and those with special needs and of women and of vulnerable children and of minorities and of the immigrant that we should look towards those whom society seems to look away from. It's, it's a vital part of our mission. It's something Jesus, in part, came to do. But we should also know it's not the totality of our mission. And we, we do a, a disservice to our mission and we do a disservice to our world when 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 we reduce our mission to simply this so Jesus came not to bring a new leader to Rome but to make it clear there is one who we're not talking about a new leader there is one king of kings through every age and he came not just to bring a new temporary social order but to reverse, the, to reverse the curse of the fall, to raise up all those who have been cursed and afflicted by sin, to not just bring sight to, to the eyes physically for people to see, but those blinded by the effects of sin. And So Jesus' is so, Jesus's message is so much bigger than, than they were looking for. It's so much bigger, and the, the salvation he is proclaiming is just so much bigger than, okay, it affects these temporary things here and now. So he's preaching the message of salvation, what he's about to do, but some were missing it because they thought too small. They were looking for him. Yeah, that, that eternal stuff's great. I'm worried about right here, right now. How's it going to fix my problem today? How's it going to fix my trial or my grief or my lowliness or my loneliness? How's it going to fix my present condition? I'm more concerned about that than eternal realities. And so they were missing, many of them, how big salvation was. And just to note, as we go on our mission, as we go to love our neighbor, we, we need to do that. that. That's what God has called us to do, is to, to love our neighbor and to, to, to reach out and to care. But we also can't miss that our church has a much bigger mission than that as well. The proclamation of the gospel that he brings salvation for all who are in sin. So, we, so may we be helpful to... Maybe we be help, helpful to the needy in our community, but we, but we may be faithful to not stop at their temporary need because the message that he proclaims is too big for that. And so he doesn't, he doesn't conform to what we think we want, but he, he solves our actual deepest need. Second thing we see is the messenger. So Jesus is here. He's the one preaching this message. Now I just want to note something that can be easy to overlook. But in verse fifteen and sixteen, Jesus went to the synagogue, right? And it says, "As was his custom," so he would go various, one, you know, week to week to various ones, you know, to teach in different ones. But mostly, it would appear that he went to the one from in his hometown. That that was his, you know, sort of that that this was the one he would most often frequent, and give some indication that this is the first time we see it publicly recorded that he had taught there before that people would listen to him. Now, in some ways, probably nothing really jumps out from that, right? Like, okay, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Lord's Day. Like, okay, like that seems to be appropriate, right? That's what I would have expected Jesus to be doing on the Lord's Day, right? It's sort of like, like, hey, Adam, there, there's a fish in water right now. Like, yeah, it'd be remarkable if there was a fish walking around on land, but the fact that you see it in a pond, that's where fish live, right? I mean, there's this sense of Jesus being in the synagogue on the Lord's Day. Nothing seems to stand out but wanted to note just of all the people literally in human history who didn't need other people to have perfect fellowship, of all the people, and he's the only one in human history who honestly, he didn't need to go and hear another like C-minus sermon from a guy that he really does know more than, right? Like he knew more than anybody else who was going to teach or preach. He he's the one person in human history that could rightly say, you know, this group of people that's around me, they they might actually slow down my spiritual growth the more I'm around them. Like my personal spirituality might actually get hindered because of that. Like, right? Like, like it, it's Jesus. Like he's got perfect fellowship with God. He's got perfect fullness in in, in being God's. He, he knows his identity. He follows the law. Like he's perfect in all his ways. He knows this book inside and out. Like, he's good. And yet, he patterned his life under the regular worship and teaching and fellowship on the Lord's day with the Lord's people. So I just think it sets an example for us who, who, who so desperately need these things of teaching and of fellowship and of, and of God's perspective on our life and of being around fellow saints. Like if Jesus patterned his life this way, certainly we should much more be eager to pattern our life this way as those who are so needy for these things. But Jesus spoke and he read that today is the day of the Lord's favor. That, that this is now being fulfilled. That today is the day when to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he's saying that this is, this is right now. That the day in your hearing that this, that this is being unlocked and proclaimed, that this is now, this is that day. He's going back to a, 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 to a text in Leviticus. He's going back to a passage in Leviticus. This day of the Lord's favor wasn't just like, oh, it's a happy day, right? Like it's just, we now have sort of God, God on our side. But, but it really, it's a particular reference to Leviticus, where every 50 years it was written into the law that it would be the year of jubilee. So the year of Jubilee was every fifty years that, that all debts were cancelled, all slaves were free in the land. It was just sort of this giant, merciful reset button in, those, in the social fabric and it was it was the, the day of the lord's favor and so it came about every 50 years. It was part of god 's law, laid down it was just one could imagine it was just this day full of gratitude and celebration, and it was just you know it was as bolded as bolded could be on the calendar because it represented just this that, that, that there's just this year of just sort of, what's it, just of living in sort of this, cos- the good of cosmic generosity, and of, of just knowing God would someday cancel all our debts and free all the slaves that are there. Like, there's just this sense of, it just, it foreshadowed that day. So the year of the Lord's favor was, I mean, this was, it was just the day to remember, right? I mean, there's certain days that, like, I still, I still pay certain bills by like, Like, I I write a check, actually, to write, pay certain bills. I'm not all automated. So I need to, like, I write down, like, what checks are due, what days and stuff. And I write down certain birthdays so I remember certain ones, right? Like, there's days that we have on our calendar, right? Like, I, um, there was recently my favorite stand-up comedian had, like, a new special out on Netflix. And so we wrote on the calendar so we could watch on the family, so we could watch the special together, right? Valentine's Day is Tuesday. I, like, they always say, like, guys, don't forget Valentine's Day is Tuesday. Don't forget Valentine's Day is Tuesday. But, like, I don't want M to forget that Valentine's Day is Tuesday, right? Like, this is... Uh, they act like guys are the only ones who should remember Valentine's Day. But I would really like Em to remember Valentine's I want her to just give me this ginormous bag of candy. Like, that's, that's really... I would like to keep the future Dr. Vanek around for a long time with my business. I would just like my teeth to rot from the amount of candy that, that I want, that I'm going to have. So, right, so like, don't forget, like, like the Valentine's Day, if you're, if you're in a relationship, right, it's one of those days you need to remember, right? The Jubilee was, I mean, it was, it was the year marked and it was anticipated. It was, I mean, nobody was forgetting this day. They were so longing for this day. It was so... Celebrated, and he's saying, "Okay, all that anticipation, all that you should think of when you think of, you know, this day, what 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 this represents in 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 the lives of individuals, what this represents in our in our in our in our social fabric, just this that that generosity would reign and transform us as a community." He's saying, "All that that's meant to, to conjure up with that day." He's saying, "It's here." but it's not just sort of the natural 50 years where, okay, it's this year. No, 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 it's here every year. It's here every day that Jesus has ushered in sort of God's perpetual cosmic generosity towards His people in an unfiltered way. Like the year of the Lord, It's it's just here. It's just all the time. Today, because with Jesus, what he is saying is it's happening now because of me. Leviticus is fulfilled in me. Isaiah is fulfilled in me. David and the psalmist are fulfilled in me. I give sight. I raise the poor. I free the prisoner. I lift the oppressed. The new era is here. This new permanent favor from the Lord is is, is here. It's now. It's in me. It's fully in me. And because of his life and death, because he lived a perfect life, because 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 he died, because he died to death for sinners, because he rose over the grave. He, he did all that was necessary to, 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 to usher in this sort of permanent favor from the Lord. He did all that was necessary to, to take away the penalty of sin, to defeat Satan. And so he's saying, this is all here. All this stuff, all, all the, the things that Jesus w- w- came to do is now here. This is the Messiah who has come. But he is very aware, but some of you will miss it. He is coming in to usher in a new kingdom and he is telling us what kind of king he he will be and what kind of kingdom this will be. And some people in this crowd were going to miss it and we're going to want to have him killed because no 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 they were looking for 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 a for a messiah that that fit their view of what they were looking for because they reduced Jesus down to their size and to the size of their expectations. So Basically, we just need to recognize that people will either reject Him because they refuse to see what His rule is all about and what His Messiahship is all about, or we will see and because He has opened our eyes, but it's, but it's not asking Him to change for me, but it's us conforming to Him in a humble gratitude because of the life He offers us and the, the power He provides for us. So third point I want to look at is the mistake. The mistake. So for that I want to look at verses 22 through 30 to see the response of the people as they heard these words. And he spoke well and all spoke all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, "Is not this Joseph's son?" And he said to them, "Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum." do here in your hometown as well and he said truly i say to you no prophet is acceptable in his hometown but in truth i tell you there are many widows in israel in the days of elijah when the heavens were shut up when the heavens were shut up 3 years and 6 months and a great famine came over all the land and elijah was sent to none of them but only to zarephath in the land of sidon to a woman who was a widow and there were many lepers in israel in the time of the prophet elisha And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these words, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So they were beginning to marvel. They were beginning to wonder what he was saying. And they were saying, hey, we've, probably, we've, we've heard about some of these things you did. I don't know, would know, it be miracle or whatever. You, you did some really cool signs in this place. Hey, if you can do all this, why don't you do it here for us? Why don't you fit our expectations? Why don't you do the thing that we're, we're, we're wanting most desperately done? We're wanting you to fix this temporary problem we have, so why don't you do this? And they began to just make him small. So they began to marvel at what he was saying, but then they wanted him to do sort of to fit their expectations. And then they sort of have like who isn't this Joseph's boy? I mean, I know you're saying that you're gonna do all this stuff, but at the end of the day, right, you're you're Joseph's boy. You're you're one of us. You can't fool us. I mean, there's just a sense of we we know where you're from. So listen. It'd be great if you could fix our problems. It'd be great if you could just do the, the, the things that we have wanted you to do. It would be great if you would be the Messiah who would, who would fit the box that we sort of set for you to be in. But, but we're, not really re- we're not trying to transform into what you want us to be. No, no, no. We, we want you to transform into our image of what we think you should be. And he knows that they're marveling at what he's saying because they're missing what he's saying. And so he compares them to those we see in a story from the prophet Elijah, and from one from the life of Elisha. Both prophets who were rejected by their own people, but went and ministered to others. And their very own people missed the work of God be, be, through the rejection of the prophet. And he's, he's just saying, listen, what you did to them is clearly happening to me now. It, it's, it's happening to you. You're missing the work of God because you are rejecting me. In both stories—one is of a, of a widow who was without food in a great famine land. She was down to her last bit of flour. She was told to bake, and she, even though that would now she'd be out of food, and, and and in faith she did, and that flour just never ran out. And then the story of Naaman who needed healing, and he was told to go bathe in a river as the means of healing. And neither story made human sense. Like neither one, like what? How would me using the last of my food actually lead to more food? And and how would me walk, Getting in a dirty river, cleanse me from from disease, yet God provided for both of them. In both stories, they had to act in faith before they would see what God would do in both stories. so they' sort of they had to respond in faith and then see how God did it. But in both, they rejected, the messenger. They missed the message the rest of the people did because they had human expectations of how God would work. They had human expectations of what the power of God would look like in their midst. And they had such a limited view of what the power of God would look like in their midst that they just totally missed and rejected the messenger. And so Jesus is being rejected because they haven't seen him do all the stuff he said he was going to do. Oh, they heard, but... They, they, they reject him. They reject his message. His message was, I'm bringing salvation, but not from Caesar, but from sin. I'm bringing up the humble, not just in society, but in heart, and so they reject him. There's just this sense of, who are you to lecture us? I mean, we know who your dad is. He's not an impressive man. We, we've been around longer than you. We know, we know how life works. No, no, we're going to tell you how it's going to be, and so they reject Jesus. Because they missed what God was actually doing. So they chase him away. They actually try to kill him. And he's able to escape. But very first public teaching, what do we see? We just see the shadow of the cross hanging over all his life in ministry. His first time he has a message recorded. They want him killed. Now, eventually, he would be by them and for them, but not before literally and spiritually giving sight to the blind and releasing the captives and ushering in this new age of the permanent favor of the Lord. You see, they were looking for a Messiah who, wanted, who had the power of God on their side, but not repentance on their side. They wanted to see the power of God, but not necessarily the other side. They wanted circumstances changed, but not their heart changed. They wanted the kingdom of this world to be the primary place where they saw the power of God and the kingdom of God in view. And so they just miss that Jesus Jesus and God is just so much bigger than the here and now. And so they reject Christ and they try to kill him. Now just to note, as he leaves town, this is the last time we actually see him ministering in his hometown. I don't want to draw too many possible implications for this. But I do want to note one thing. It is so easy for people, particularly for people who grow up in, in church, who grow up sort of as, you know, being around God's people. It is so easy to think, you know, if I reject Jesus now, certainly I'm, I can just accept them later. I can accept it when, you know, I get through this season, when I get through the, you know, right now it would be really hard. Like, I remember in high school, I I just rejected Jesus because he you know he just wasn't cool at my high school, right? So there's this sense of like I just but I had this sense of well I can just always come back and I can always do that stuff later. Just want to note there are it's a fool who rejects Jesus and just assumes and presumes upon his mercy. So if you reject Christ, don't presume that he owes you another chance do not presume if you reject Jesus Christ that well he's always you know i'm always just going to have this opportunity again the next time or the next time or the next time to just now i'm going to get serious about it never presume upon his mercy but they they made this wrong assumption about him they wanted Christ to conform to their terms not not them to his they wanted him to meet their expectations So let me just say this as we, as we close. Just, just one thought of application. Okay, that's what they did. They rejected Jesus. He didn't fit sort of the world that, that, that they thought he would fit. They didn't fit the expectations that he had for them, that, that they had for him. And so, okay, that's what they did. I just want to know, it is so easy for us to do the exact same thing. I think it's so easy to forget Okay, the bigness of salvation where He opened our eyes, where He raised us up as those who were who were oppressed and defeated by sin, that we were those who in, were enshackled by sin and that we have now received just sort of the perpetual favor of the Lord. And it's so easy to reduce, you know what? But I don't really feel that today because you're not fitting sort of what I think you're supposed to fit in my life. You don't fit the the, the, the narrative of what I think you should be doing in my life right now. It's just so easy to reduce Him to to our terms in some way. Like it's so easy to just reduce God's holiness in some way because we're so used to His mercy, because we're so used to His favor, because we're so used to His grace. It's just so easy to, to reduce what it means that God is holy and that God is opposed to sin and that all sin must be dealt with. So it's just so easy. So it's, it's so easy to reduce. Like, well, I know the Bible says, not, not a hint of sexual immorality, but that would mean like zero sexual immorality. He, he, he can't mean that. What he probably means is just keep it in check. What he probably means is just don't cross certain lines in sexual immorality, but, but not even a hint. It's, it's prob- that's a standard way too high. So, so we just reduce him down to our size. I think it's so easy to just reduce him to the size of what, what, what our vision is of, of any particular moment just to, to view him through the lens, not of what he declares to be true in his book, but what, what we see through the lens of our circumstance at any moment. Like I know, I know he says he's the good shepherd and he leads me through every valley, but I don't see necessarily how you're leading me right here. I don't see why you led me into this right now. And so until you do, until I see it clearly, until my circumstances change, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to hold you back at a, at a little bit of a distance because you're not fitting what I think you should be doing in my life right now. I think it's so easy to reduce just how, of how, how wise he is and our desperate need for the wisdom of God to be poured into us each and every day. Like one of the things we're talking about in God Squad, we've been, we've been going through the We've been going through different Proverbs just to talk about that we, we have an opportunity to, to build our life on the foundation of God and on His Word and be those who, who are pursuing wisdom in our lives. It is so easy to, to reduce. Well, I know God is the source of all wisdom. I know this book contains all wisdom. I know as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, He, he, he pours Himself into me. But really what I'm going to do is I'm just going to really, yeah, I want those things. I want fellowship. I need to get you know wisdom from others. But I'm really just going to rely on my own instincts. Because there's times where what this says and what I think is right to do don't seem to mesh. And so I think I'm just going to bring down a little bit of, 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 of how much I really need this. I'm not just going to lean in the same way because His wisdom doesn't match my wisdom at the moment. So we just reduce what His wisdom is like. And we can so often just reduce some of His warnings. Jesus is quite clear in His teaching as this book unfolds the consequences of refusing to turn to Jesus Christ. Not just generally believing in Him, not just generally saying, yeah, you know, he, you know, I'll agree with a lot of what He said, we're going to check the box, but if you do not turn from your sins and place your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are separated eternally from God for all time, that heaven and hell are real, and there are people in hell right now because they refuse to bend their knee to Jesus Christ, and there are so many people who think... I don't know that he'll actually do that. How could, how could he really fully do that? And so we reduce his warnings. We reduce the warning signs in our own life. We reduce it. Well, I said a prayer once when I was this age, so I'm pretty sure though my life isn't walking in the Spirit right now, though my life isn't walking in conformity to this book, though, my, though, I, I'm, I'm, not, you know, though I'm walking in just gross, unrepentant sin, I... I'm gonna trust this, this one thing over these these warnings over and over again in Scripture. And so we can reduce his warnings down to the size that, that that we believe. Listen, Jesus Christ is the one who is going to is the one who tells us, and as this book unfolds, will show us what kind of Messiah He is, what kind of Savior He is, what kind of God He is. And so we, may we as a people never reduce Him down to our size. May we never reduce Him down to our, to, to our intuition. May we never reduce Him down to the size of our circumstances or down to the size of our limited vision at the time. But we may, may we be those who, who, who Jesus expands our vision for what kind of Savior He is and what kind of salvation He offers. Let's close in prayer as CP and Alex come back up to lead us in singing to close. Lord, we pray that you would you would be though that we would be those who would not have our vision reduced of your salvation, of what kind of savior you are, that we would not reduce our vision because you don't you don't meet our expectations in one particular way that because we, we are going through a circumstance or a trial or a hardship right now, Lord, we don't reduce You to the size of where we can see You at this moment. But that we would see You as You really are and the salvation You really offer. Lord, would we not reduce salvation to You fixing our temporary earthly problems here and now, but to the glorious eternal realities of of, of your kingship and your kingdom, Lord, we may not be those who are or, who, who are just who reduce you down and down and down to fit to to fit what we've created. But Lord, would you expand our minds and our vision and our eyes to see the Savior that you are? Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.